listening to the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. My name is Ash, and I'm joined with two fellow firefighters. I've got Scott. Hey there. And we have Todd. Hello. And tonight, uh, we are releasing our interview with Meg from the We Need Ice Explosion on the Railroad podcast. Uh, so we had a pleasure to sit down and... Uh, have a Skype meeting with Meg uh, earlier in the week, uh, chat about uh, how she came up with the idea to uh, start and produce the Weenie Dice podcast um, and her journeys along the way. Uh, so without any further ado, let's dive into the interview. All right, guys, we're here with uh, Meg Moran uh, from the We Need Ice podcast. Um, it's a 10 part series. Uh, you got some bonus episodes that came, came, came out there on the backside as well. Um, Meg, uh, hello. Thanks for coming on and, uh, tell us quickly a bit about yourself. And then on the backside of that, maybe quick, quickly dive in and tell us, uh, what made you want to start the podcast? Of course. Thank you guys so much for talking with me today. The We Need Ice podcast as the story is, it's more like the first seven episodes. And then once the podcast launched, there were some witnesses, as I had anticipated, people kind of coming out of the woodwork. No one really knows if you're going to tell their intimate story well, or respectfully, you know, or in a light that, uh, that they want to be a part of. So that's where the bonus episodes uh, came out of, and and that's what this will be. And I'm and I'm so grateful for that because, as we kind of talked about prior to the call, it's not something that I was even around for, like living when this event happened in Kingman, Arizona, 1973. It was something that I just fell in love with, a story that I fell in love with because a dear dear friend of mine. Was a, was a resident when the Blevy happened on July 5th, 1973. And she slowly started opening up her memories to me. And then as luck would have it, she, she kept telling me she had all these newspapers from the Kingman Minor that she had saved them all. Her husband was a volunteer firefighter. On that day, he got the call, like they would all somehow get this CB radio call or even the broadcast radio would kind of alert them if there was an incident. He was working in the mines, which was like 30 minutes away. So he got the call and he's traveling back to, of course, put his life in danger to help his community when this was going on. By the time he got there, he was just dealing with carnage and the explosion had happened. So his life was spared then. But um, she ended up finding these newspapers kind of at some point when, you know, I would go, we would uh, take a walk or, you know, meet for appetizers and she would start telling me and I was just, I was so captivated and I told her one day that I like there's I figured I'd go home and find like a documentary or something I could read or watch and there wasn't much out there so I asked her if if she didn't mind telling me more about it and and would trust me to do something with it. And at the time I had no idea. Is it a blog or or just a story or or I'm just preserving it for her and her children and her grandchildren. And um it was it was no small feat to get her on my side on this, but as the project kind of enhanced and I told her my ideas and 
started sharing with her what could be done and, and why it would be done, I think um, we finally came to an understanding and an agreement of of where to head. And um, and yes, she decided it was therapeutic to talk about it after all these years. So that kind of explains my connection or, or why I've grown so fondly to telling the story. You know, having the power to do that for somebody is something not to take lightly, but I did want to kind of wield it that like, this is something to do because I felt like it hadn't been done before. Yeah, I think uh, like what, what you just said there, you know, really resonates with us. And that's sort of the background of why we started to do what, what we do here at the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. So obviously we are three volunteer firefighters. Um, we've been in the service for uh, a variety of years, Todd, a few more than Scott, Scott and I, and literally everybody else living. <laughs> Todd's been in the service for quite quite a few years. He's also a paramedic, uh, as is uh, his quote Mon- you know, Monday to Friday job. We all know that's not what they are, but um, so like w- we all have um, that uh, volunteerism background, um, obviously firefighting, and we do the podcast. So because there, there's not a lot of information period out there, there's not a lot of things that are geared towards the volunteerism of it. And the, like you just said there, the, the uh, uh, therapy of it, of, um, you know, sitting down and like, we, we kind of talk about uh, bumper talk. So like when you get mm-hmm. back to the fire station after a, a more difficult call, um, that, that is really like our therapy. So when, when we can sit down and not, debrief in a like a serious manner in a like a a black black and white manner you can sit there and just chat amongst your friends and your colleagues that's where the main therapy is and like just hearing that from you about your friend like once she started to open up and start telling the story start reliving the story like through her husband and then through you um going back all those years to 1973, um, I'm sure that was a big healing process that uh, maybe she didn't even know that she needed. I, yeah, I, I think so. Um, and even still, she's, uh, the, the podcast after launch got a little bit of traction with the Kingman, Arizona. Kingman, Arizona is a small, is still a small town, although of course it's grown. Um, so right. it was in the newspaper and I know that's where at, at launch, a lot of listeners were gained. And of course, we were both so grateful for that. But it was like hitting her like a Mack truck all over again, like, oh, my gosh, people are gonna, she doesn't want to tell her story that uh, is inaccurate in anyone else's head. So it's a constant reminder to to tell her that this is this is what you experienced. And at the beginning, because she was so um, fearful or, or or kind of worried about this concept of she didn't want to paint seagulls and in, in anyone's painting. Everything she said, I, I would look it up, you know, and although the resources were slim, the facts are there. And mm-hmm. I tell you, this 82-year-old woman has not been wrong about anything yet. So the trust was built really, really quickly. And of course that helped. Yeah. You mentioned that uh the the husband of the woman you're talking about she he went to the the scene knowing that kind of knowing what was happening i guess mm-hmm. um obviously he probably didn't have like direct radio access like we do currently and like today's society like we can hear everything that's going on in the fire ground when we're driving to a scene but this whole um kind of what resonates with me is the fact that 
this reminds me of a lot of an incident we had a couple of years ago. Um, where actually Ash and I were driving to a structure fire because we we were a ways away from it. Yeah. And we were driving to it, and it was actually uh, it was a propane boat. Uh, it was a pretty big one, like a thousand pound propane cylinder. Yeah. Um, it was cooking off when we got there. All the other guys were there fighting the fire, mm-hmm. and the jet engine noise it was making was like because it was uh, it was it had already started venting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember some people because we were we were staging quite a ways away, but then the trucks were we were pretty close with the trucks trying to cool it. And uh, I remember some people said to us like, "What are you guys doing? Why are you guys going in there?" And we're like, "Well, that's what we have to do." <laughs> Yeah. So it was actually, to me, it was, it was uh, like, it was just another day in the fire service to them. It was like, oh my God, what are you guys doing? <laughs> right. And, and it obviously never levied on us, but it was mm-hmm. probably the closest I've seen to a blevy um, potential. potential. Yeah. Um, we ended up cooling the tank and, uh, and stopping the blevy from possibly happening. But yeah, it was like, to us, it was just another day to them. It was like, oh my God, what are you guys doing? Scott, yeah. that something I've heard from witness after witness, whether it's the actual explosion of the blevy or prior to the hissing, it's very eerie. So you guys were obviously up close, quite personal. And yeah, no wonder people were like, what the hell are you doing over there? Get away. And this is maybe a good point to reference because a lot of my research back then, they were just learning about this unmanned monitor strategy. Does that ring a bell with you guys? So the unmanned monitor down down on the ground, like we have one in our hall. It doesn't get utilized too often. We actually had a uh, quite a big event, whatever, 15 years ago, yeah. give or take. Uh, our our high school burnt, burnt down. It was a massive event here. And um, I mean, at, at that point, you're, when it's that involved, you're, you're only protecting the exposures. Uh, and that's when these large monitors come out. Something like this with a blevy, that's when these large water monitors would, would be coming out. In today's day, um, you, you have more often um, like engine or apparatus mounted uh, monitors that are actually attached directly to the fire truck that you can operate from a safe distance and then um, lob and project water you know, again, from a, from a very safe safe distance or a lot safer than having to go and extend hose lines in and put yourself a lot closer to that harm. To prevent a blevy, an explosion. And in 73, I know for sure time was not on their side. It happened very, very quickly. And, you know, maybe a little bit of, of not having the proper equipment and, and procedures in place at that time because so much has changed since since then and because of this event they were a little ill-equipped so to speak yeah i mean looking back back in 1973 versus today's standards we were actually so we we just did a podcast last night and we were chatting on uh, the one that we recorded about what prompts change in the fire service and or anything or basically <laughs> anything yeah i mean we kind of branched out to anything in the world and it's generally when there's a fatality or a larger number of, uh, you know, people pass, injuries. you know, injuries or, uh, you know, there's death or some, something tragic generally happens in a larger scale. And that's what prompts change. So as, as much as like was kind of mentioned on the onset of uh, our chat here, um, you know, not a lot of people knew about Kingman and what happened there. But I think after hearing your podcast going back and doing our own research on it as well tying everything in like we we can see things today that are i think you know directly um you know related to that very day 
Um, and then all of the research and everything else that happened after that. So with that day spurring a lot of what we see in today's society in the fire service, um, they obviously didn't have that because it wasn't, they, they, you know, they didn't have any large scale event to learn from. So they were going in there doing whatever their base level of training taught them, which at that time I'm sure was great. But in today's day and in today's standard was, I'm sure, like you said, very much behind the ball on time and then very much, you know, lacking on not the training, just the overall knowledge because it hadn't happened yet. Right. And in one of the episodes, I say something very similar to what you just said. And it's like, if, if necessity is the mother of invention, then mass casualties are the catalyst of reinvention. So yeah, as you were kind of saying, like it, it does, unfortunately, but how else are you going to know that your procedure isn't working? Uh, 9-11 is a great example. And I kind of referenced that in the podcast. I remember when you could show up, you know, running late to the airport and just like fly right through and you can leave stuff in your pocket and they just wave you in and you know you've got a full-size shampoo in your carry-on no big deal um but yeah those days are are long gone and never coming back but we all remember i'm showing my age <laughs> yeah <laughs> <That's> well. <laughs> well and i think also the um the safety improvements of the cylinders um, yes are greater yeah. nowadays too like like that propane cylinder that we were dealing with um, it had its safety valve was working mm-hmm. well um so i think those those are also improved obviously over time not just uh, our tactics but um this general safety of uh of everything yeah all the containers and the, the way the uh the pressure uh, vessels are designed now right, right. Um, it's a lot safer for us to handle and part of that scream that high pitch whistle you hear it is because it's it's doing what it's supposed to it's, it's bleeding that pressure off sure um and then that's that that eerie scream which we've all heard yeah. and then uh unfortunately again the timing which you referred to meg is that they had time against them uh just that that superheated um flame front they were facing right yeah but yeah and, and it's interesting too because we uh like the training is you don't actually like when it's venting like that we, we actually don't want to put the flame out we want right. to just cool the cylinder so it, it cools that that boiling liquid. Um, yeah. We want the we want it to kind of cook itself off uh, to get rid of that to the, mm-hmm. get rid of the fuel. Because mm-hmm. um, on uh, what's happened in the past is you put the flame out and now you have all this like gas, propane leaking out, um, and now it creates pockets of uh, explosive gas where you can't see it, and all of a sudden it touches off again, and you have that's when you now you have you get, to, a, you get yeah, a explosion. secondary explosion. Yeah. it's not directly you know related to the bloody. It's just a different yeah. explosion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the nice thing with the the new technology from these events. Yeah, you know, with these ground monitors now and the master streams that we deal with, the pure uh, gallons per minute that we have now uh, with those, um, and it's, we can suppress, like you said, Scott, you, the flame just enough where it's not out, but it's still burning. But we're controlling that intensity to cool that uh, cylinder down. I, I would suspect probably in Kingman though, um, even. Now I'm wondering how many hydrants and such they have, um, just because that's obviously um, those master streams take a lot of water, huge volume. So yeah. um, one thing we were dealing with is on this propane cylinder we we had was uh, we were out in the middle of a farm uh, field, so we were running um, water tenders, so basically water trucks, mm-hmm. um, essentially as fast as we could. But those those master streams go through, you know, hundreds of gallons a minute, so you can run out pretty quick. So you kind of have to really watch what you're doing for sure monitor yeah when you're when you're 
when you're pushing 750 gallons per minute and you have a thousand gallons on one truck, yeah. you're uh, running out pretty quick. So how long on this incident did it take you guys to cool down this cylinder full of propane? And this was what, this week or last week? Oh, no, this was a couple of years ago. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah, yeah. We're okay. that incident. We're reaching back a couple of years now, uh, probably two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wasn't that long. I mean, in, in, in the incident, everything always feels like it, it's definitely taking longer than, than it should or than you would like. Um, but, you know, I would say within five minutes of, yeah. of actual direct cooling, it was to a safe space. Because the idea is uh, it was getting impinged on by the, the structure fire that was burning next to it. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of doing double duty. You're trying to cool the cylinder, but you're also trying to knock down the fire, which is making the cylinder hot. Right. So it was kind of like we're we're sharing water, like we're putting water on the fire, trying to knock it down, and then also water on the cylinder to keep it cool. Um, so once the, obviously once the fire is knocked down from the structure, then the cylinder is going to cool on its own. That's right. But if we only concentrate on the structure, the cylinder is heating up. So it's like uh, you kind of have to like mm-hmm. know where you're where you're putting your water, and then understanding that you're going to be low on water soon. So you have to really put water on the cylinder while the trucks are still coming with water. It's yeah, it's kind of touchy. Um, a little but, back and forth. Yeah, a little back and forth. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Do you guys recall the atmospheric temperature or just the temperature, the weather? Like it was, it was um, September because I remember it was the first day of hunting season, <laughs> which <laughs> so, is why we were coming the, a little bit delayed. <laughs> yeah, um, so it was like so it's like September first here. Um, and it was a warm day because we were kind of it was unseasonally warm. Yeah, it was like probably twenty-one degrees Celsius. So I don't know yeah. what that is in Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Oh, what it is. I, I should have um, pulled up That's a I guess it would be about 768 because, yeah, because room temperature is 21. Okay. Here, so. yeah. yeah, yeah, you're 68. Just, just try 70. Yeah. And, and just for reference on this uh, in 1973, so this tanker had been sitting there for about a month in the desert. And on Ooh. this day, it was like 108 degrees yeah. Fahrenheit, of course. So, so that would problem. be considerably, yeah, I mean, you're almost talking 40 degrees hotter than than it was on that day so it maybe makes a little more it makes sense to me just hearing you guys you were like it it probably took about five you know minutes give or take by the time these guys had gotten to it it had been burning for eight minutes prior to the explosion there was like a mini explosion on top of the rail car where the gas had been leaking they tried to fix it and it caused an explosion which injured one guy and fatally um fatally injured or, or killed the the other guy that was working on it that's why all these firefighters and mostly volunteer fighter fighters were there to address that situation and try to cool down the tank so they they were very aware of what could happen but it was just like this is what they're trained to do you get you get you run into the fire <laughs> basically and that's something that's just hella admirable about um what you guys are doing as volunteers thank you yeah, it's um, you know it's it, it, it's you know one of those things that you know firefighters every, every first responder for the most part doesn't you know like we don't like to think of it like oh yeah we're running in when others are running out there's there's you know the people that wear the t-shirt and want to go and do that um, where we're you know we're not that I, I think most people in the service aren't that um, we're we're just you train hard you you get the experience uh, you, you have these you know live live events. You know, fire experiences um 
and you don't think it's more of a reaction. You're thinking about your, you know, safety, your, your team safety, um, things like that. That's what your, your, your brain is trying to process and you're falling back on that training. And I'm sure back in 1973, uh, those firefighters, uh, those police officers, everybody that was responding to the event, they were just falling back on their training, falling back on knowing this is what they need to do. And like, they weren't thinking anything else. They weren't thinking about the fear. They weren't thinking about anything else. They're just going to react and they're going to run in and do what they can do. Because like we've said a bunch of times, like, like we're it, if we don't go, no one's going. So yeah, there's like, not some professional league that shows up to help you. So, yeah. yeah. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. So when those tones drop, when these falls come in, um, when they got, you know, the radio message or when they were getting the message over CV, whatever it was back in Kingman. Um, yeah. They all started racing either directly to the event or over to the fire station and they were reacting and they were going to run in there and do what they have trained to do. And, you know, it's admirable what like on the back end of, you know, the first explosion, the second explosion. And yeah, it was very, very tragic, but I mean, there was, a lot of amazing work that, that did happen that day. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's a shame to see, um, of the, uh, um, you know, negative side of it, obviously, but, uh, there was a lot of amazing work that happened from a, a small community, um, back in 73. Uh, absolutely. And I think everyone that I speak to, that's a big, big thing or motto or overlapping, theory and blanket that they want to put out there that even the unlikely of people rose to the occasion. And I'm, and I'm actually quoting um, somebody that lived there that talked to me, Teresa Roundsville. She's looking into writing a, or she has written a screenplay about this. And we, and we got connected through a current firefighter that uh, that's in Kingman um, active right now. And she said that even, you know, these everyday Joes or these average Joes, everyday people in a small community, when faced with something like this, they rise, you know, they rise to the occasion and it's the most unlikely of heroes. And she said something to the effect of a lot of limelight has been on the firefighters. Um, and then a couple episodes after the final one, I, I talked to a former police officer and, and he really opened my eyes to what they stepped in and did because there is so much um lauding the firefighters but Teresa was saying that um she really felt like it was these everyday guys and the volunteers that really stepped in and saved a lot of the firefighters on that day so again there's no from you're never going to get any lack of um appreciation on this end you guys are doing something that so many people aren't doing. And I think you just said that, like, there's no like force that comes in like SWAT, you know, SWAT team firefighters to handle these types of situations. It's, uh, it's because you guys are there in the community and you've volunteered your time. How much of your time is committed to this? Do you have regular nine to fives? Yeah. So everybody's sitting here, uh, everybody on our department, um, in Oliver, uh, British Columbia, where we're from, we are all 
pure uh, pay on call. Uh, so like we, we still classify ourselves as a volunteer department. Uh, we, we do get paid per call, but we do have, like all of us do carry um, that quote nine, nine to five Monday to Friday. Um, and the only difference between our area and Todd's is they have um, just a, hey? Basically, I mean, staff that's true. Yeah, they have yeah. some administration staff that's uh, paid, but all of the active firefighting is done. Uh, same same thing as, uh, as a paid on call. That's right. Gotcha. Yeah, so I guess uh, what your question was, uh, mm -hmm. well, yeah, so we have nine to five, and then with the firefighting stuff, we do... Um, like we practice Thursdays, I practice yeah. Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. So every every week we do two two hours, two and a half two, hours, two to two and a half hours, depending on what we're doing. Um, but and that varies too. Yeah, it doesn't really end there either yeah, because, mm -hmm. again, with the kind of the volunteerism that we have, yeah. you know, the way the halls are run, um, you know, when you start designing a new truck yeah. or you get new uh, new pieces of equipment for that truck, mm -hmm. um, it's it's us who are researching, purchasing. You know, yeah. placing it on the truck, Very organizing handy. training, getting everybody out there doing the training evolutions, mm -hmm. um, you know, setting up scenarios for the weekends and yeah. for that next uh, uh, next training night, right? And, and that, then, the, and then the calls. Yeah, and then the calls, <laughs> yeah. of course. But that's wow. unchecked, right? That's just sure. kind of what you do. Yeah, so back to saying that we are paid on call. Yeah, like when an event happens, you know, whatever it might be, you know, motor vehicle accident, uh, structure fire, wild, you know, wildland, forest or grass fire, uh, medical, things along those lines. That's when we are getting paid. But like all of the time that we spend, um, you know, getting all of our, our training nights prepped, getting like we in Oliver here have an amazing training facility right down the street from our department where we have three live fire buildings that we can go and do actual live burn events and, and train. So we're down there prepping, we're down there cleaning. There's a, a large group of people that, that, that help out with that. And that's all free. That's just us wanting to better our skill. Um, so yeah, yes, there is some unlimited funds, but still there's so much of it uh, on, you know, the outside looking in to make everything work that, is for free and we're just happy to do it because we, we want to you know continue to invest time in our skill set right that's quite a commitment there's um there's a part that everyone wants to hear i don't know if they want to hear but it's always exciting and that's the the injuries that you guys maybe come across and i know you mentioned one of you being a, a emt or a paramedic that's uh, todd yes that's myself i'm uh, i'm a uh career paramedic and i'm i'm referencing that because there's one of the we need ice episodes kind of focuses on what was happening the chaos why you know there were so many darn injuries in this thing i mean over a hundred innocent citizens bystanders people that didn't even this kind of shook me when i when i when i let this resonate because this was a transit town along route 66 there were people just traveling. They weren't even residents that mm -hmm. because you see a car accident or something and, and there's no yellow tape or there's no one telling you not to, you pull over and you get closer. And I mean, these people got as close as they possibly could. And that's why so many were in quote unquote, the line of flyer fire when this blast happened. So these newspapers that I quote unquote inherited and some of it is on the website. I mean, front page where there is a guy burned head to toe lying in the street, like lifting his head and reaching out. It's 
it's insane. I, I don't even know if we can do stuff like that today. It's so scary and morbid just to look, just to look at this, you know, yellowed 50 year old newspaper now. So I guess I'm trying to touch on what you guys might have seen or what you're comfortable talking about. And if you even think that's something we should get into as far as injuries and what you have to do when there is a fire and people have been exposed. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's tough. Like there's one of those, basically any, any event, like back to like the bystanders, for example, like everybody wants to, see what's going on um and some don't want to help they just want to ooh, that's awful and pull out their yeah. phone and, and you know there's you turn around there's people holding cell phones recording everything nowadays mm-hmm. um but you still have a lot of the people that will run in and, and try and offer aid which is great to see um but a lot of the bystanders they, they absolutely just get in our way uh and can be quite rude about it it's, it's becomes quite quite challenging for all the emergency responders yeah um and yeah, you know, every every incident is different. You know, looking at the Kingsman one here, like that's a, a, such a large mass casualty event. Um, mm-hmm. And being a small community, but also, like you said, a transit hub, like, you know, you have just random people going through. Um, so there's still a community aspect of it, of everybody knowing who's who as they come into the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there's still all these other people just passing passing through. And running a, any MCI or multi-casual incident um, they become extremely challenging. Uh, the first, generally, the first kind of, um, I guess, if it's an ambulance occurs or, or a fire truck that, that arrives, they start getting gutted right away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like we have all of our training and our policy and procedures and how to actually yeah. properly run it, but it's it's organized chaos in the first little while until you have many many resources arriving, mm-hmm. and generally, like in our area. Um, a lot of our resources are very spread out in other communities. It's not like a large city where you're going to have, you know, multiple yeah, resources multiple within 10 through. minutes. Yeah. So that's, that's really hard. Um, I know for, for my background, um, arriving on scenes of whether it's a, a fire or a car accident as a medic um, and trying to deal with many patients with minimal resources, uh, you feel quite helpless. <laughs> Quite a bit of the time, um, you try to do as best you can, uh, but then sometimes when you're triaging, uh, you just have to move on and know that that person's going to pass away. Yeah, I mean that that definitely rings a bell. So with with Todd being uh, in Osuius and us in and Scott and myself Asher in Oliver, um, we we have a stretch of highway that that meets, um, and we've been on many calls, you know, together uh, where we'll kind of meet in the middle. And like that exact moment, like back to kind of what you're asking, like, what are we comfortable chatting about? Um, you know, we, we definitely respect our, our, our patients. We, uh, you know, we don't want to go too deep into, you know, detail of um, like the, the, the darker side of it, but um, like to touch on what Todd just said there, we, you know, one call always comes back to mind it was kind of right around this this time it was the first real bad snowfall of the year we had you know over half a foot had fallen in a very short amount of time uh resources on clearing the highways was you know spread thinner than they were expecting obviously so the highways were just terrible and we got a head-on collision uh kind of right in the middle of um the two districts the two districts right so um 
Scott was actually the duty officer, so he arrived first on scene. Uh, when when we respond to fires and accidents, we have a duty officer. Uh, we have a vehicle that they uh, respond direct in, and then the engine company or the rescue company comes behind them. Um, so in, in this event, Scott was the duty officer. He was responding first. Um, myself, I was the uh, truck officer that was responding behind in our rescue truck. Uh, Todd was responding from Osuius as a paramedic. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were going direct in, in your uh, response vehicle. And when, when we got there, it was semi-controlled chaos. Luckily, there was some other law enforcement that was around. Um, it, but, and it wasn't a huge MCI. It was, it was four patients altogether. Yeah. But any anytime you're resources get overwhelmed that's the mci mm-hmm. um and i remember having a discussion with todd over the like we were we both are ahead in the vehicle and todd yeah. is giving me the breakdown of the um, triaging yeah so he's like he's like this one's expectant which is like that's like a, a, a what we call a black so uh, we're not going to do anything with that one and then he's mm-hmm. like this one's red that one's yellow so we went through it quick but we we were i remember we were inside the vehicle just having this discussion yeah and then we and then we did our did our thing our thing <clears throat> and that conversation like that thought process happens within seconds yeah so you you have to make split second decisions on who you're going to rescue and like at at that moment that discussion was over a mother a father and children that's right so you're making you know basically the decision on um who's got the best chance to live and you have enough people that you can look after two maybe three but you can't look after four and those are those are the choices that are made these are the things that you know as first responders you have to deal with and i mean that's just on the accident side of things there's medical side there's you know people that get you know hurt in fire um like those, those back back to like your your kind of initial question like those are the incidents that we've all been i guess you know subjected to along the way um just that accident definitely rings a bell with me kind of because we're on an, an anniversary or close to it mm-hmm. and this is our first major snowfall here tonight and uh, <laughs> it was very much the same uh you know kind of the same scenario then so those are the moments that uh you know we are all faced with uh, it's definitely not every day but you know it's quite quite common so mm-hmm. yeah that's heavy and the uh, PTSD has come up in my storytelling with witnesses, the old timers. I love talking to these old timers like this police officer. It was just so fascinating because I could see him just open up like the first time he had been able to discuss it with somebody. And he talked about the PTSD, you know, back then this stuff wasn't talked about. People just had to go back to work. It was kind of robotic. You know, you had a job to do. You, you went, and, and he volunteers alike, right? So I'm wondering if there's anything, in, or maybe if just you guys having the bond that you have, is there anything in place now to help with the healing when, when you guys are exposed to such things like this? Yeah, so like you said, you know, back in the day, it, it was uh, really yeah, <laughs> aging myself now. Yeah, back in the day, it was uh, really never talked about. You know, and it goes back to even the military time where they started calling it shell shock, right? Yeah. After Vietnam and stuff. But um, but even not that long ago, unfortunately, like going back, God, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, maybe even a little bit less, uh, there wasn't a lot of support across the board for first responders. Um, finally, for us up here in Canada, WorkSafe, well, in BC, anyway, WorkSafe BC, um, 
has gotten a lot better to, um, I guess, kind of accept uh, work safe claims for uh, mental health and stress. Right. Um, and, you know, like for us, we all try and take time to do that debrief and that bumper talk. So if we have a large event or any event, I guess, that could trigger anybody um, in a situation, um, we always like to come back to the hall, come back to the back of the ambulance, sit down, just kind of chit chat about it. That's kind of the first step. Uh, and then from there, we can identify, okay, hey, do we need to do a, a real formal debriefing? Uh, meaning that, hey, you know, let's reach out to a clinical psychologist or clinical counselor, trauma counselor, and have them come in and with the group that's actually just closest involved um, and do a little bit of a, uh, a discussion session to see kind of what happened, who's who's affected by it. And it helps us process the trauma. Um, that's the biggest thing we found is that um, nobody really knew how to to process these these difficult calls. It's interesting because uh, I was doing some like research on like the different wars, and there's very limited like World War One, World War Two. There's actually very like overall there was very limited uh, amount of PTSD, and they realized probably because back then, how did you get home from the war? You went on a ship with two thousand other people, and you and you sailed back for weeks. And you talked about the war. So when they got back, they were all kind of like decompressed. <clears throat> and then you go to Vietnam. Well, they get on an airplane and they fly back and they land, you know, they land back in the States, you know, uh, 10 hour or however long it takes, uh, two days after they were just in the jungles. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, with the other wars, they do the same thing. Um, they're getting home sooner and they're not talking about it. So now these things happen. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, in the first responder community, we're realizing that like, that's really the, the talking. So I think that's yeah. one thing that helps us with this yeah. is us talking. And also, um, like Todd says, the formal ones and also the informal stuff. Like yeah, when yeah. after the, you know, after calls, we're just chatting at the hall or, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, the talking helps. Yeah. And it's, there's no secret out there that's, uh, you know, dark humor in the first yeah. responder world <laughs> is, is real. Um, if somebody were to walk in, like, so we're obviously... They we're all firefighters um and we're all friends so we we'll hang out at fires at training we'll hang out for podcasts and then we just hang out <laughs> so like we'll be up camping together and we'll start telling stories like kind of reliving some of these moments and you forget that there's non-firefighters sitting next to you mm-hmm. and they'll look at you like holy shit like or your spouse <laughs> or, or your spouse yeah, yeah they're like you guys like need help and like we're like we're we're good <laughs> hey, we, we're helping ourselves this is our yeah, this is therapy <laughs> that is the help right and like you don't cut any like you don't cut corners they you don't hold, hold you know there's no holding punches like you say it like like it is and we would never do that on air in a podcast or no. you know in and around like other people that aren't in a direct circle but like we really say and on our you know on our uh, platform that those moments are very very healing and it's super 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 important to get that out and you know most of the world won't really understand that but the therapy on the back side of it i think that's what helps us i know it, it helps mm-hmm. me immensely so yeah, and there, there's a lot of truth to the saying of, you know, like, uh, the general public doesn't understand first sure. responders. And there, there is a lot of truth to that. Like, if you're not in that world, um, you're not going to understand what that black humor does, what what our bumper talks do, and why we look at things certain ways, right? Sure. Um, and, you know, like, now with, with the resources, like, like you said, Ash, the, the, the 
chatting and that talking about it just casually and impromptu is so huge. So some of the other resources available to us now in um, uh, paramedicine with the ambulance service is we have what's called a, like a critical incident stress peer team, uh, which I'm a member of now as well. And we'll get uh, phone calls from dispatchers or other supervisors or even just paramedic crews who are uh, on a tough call saying, hey, this is the event. This person needs to reach out. Um, so I'll get a list of people to, fall, uh, to phone and call out and just kind of chat, see how they're doing. A uh, very impromptu, casual conversation uh, and then call them back for a little check in again a couple of days later to see if they're processing things. If they say, hey, no, Todd, thanks for the call, but I'm good. That might totally be it um or you might pick something else up and hey you know what? i don't think this person's good let's call back in a few days and then they open up to you uh, that's, cool. that's really good very cool and very cool for you guys to recognize within yourselves your small network and the network of like minds and, and those that are in your in your job to understand how debriefing and talking about it helps with your mental health real men ladies right here all all three of them yeah i appreciate that but i mean it is true um you know if, if that's anything that we can get across um you know we 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 don't dive too deeply in our pod, podcast on the mental health we touch on it because everybody deals with it differently and again when you're listening to our podcast we don't know who you're listening to it with yeah. so like we we tell like we'll dive into it like where you know we start to chat about something and maybe like our seasoned listeners know hey maybe i'll pause this until you know my eight-year-old isn't <laughs> riding on the way to soccer sure. this is the time right um but for the most part we, we we try to give some of those resources but not really dive into it yeah. um but again like that's something that we really advocate for is just you know I think the, the best medicine is chatting with your peers and friends. Um, you know, like I always make sure that I go home and I will tell my spouse that I had a bad call, but I don't talk for about it. I just give her the heads up like, you know, Hey, how's that? I'm like, ah, it was pretty shitty. Okay. <laughs> you know, like outcome. And you kind of give like a, mm -hmm. a quick little snippet of like, yeah, we did this, did this sadly didn't turn out. And we kind of leave it at that, but that still gives that network um, like spouse support. And then obviously our spouses all know each other. So they, they can say, Hey, you know what? Like Todd went home and you know, he was it's just not really himself for the next week or whatever it might be. Or maybe Ash wasn't doing good for a week. And you, then, then you can go and alert, you know, the rest of your group and say, right. Hey, you know, maybe I have a watch out for Ash because he's uh, maybe, you know, maybe he's not dealing, you know, dealing with it as well as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times just sitting around and having a chat with your buddies is all you need to do to get back, back over it. Yeah. Um, and like, like we were saying at the start of this topic that, you know, back in 73, I mean, you know, the things that they, you know, witnessed and went through and, you know, loss of friends, loss, loss of family, whatever it might be from, from that day. Um, the, the mindset back then was, yeah. You don't talk about it. Walk it off. Walk it off. <laughs> That's yeah. right. That's and right. It, it, it's just crazy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, you know, something that I'm very, very grateful that, you know, the world has gone the way that it has and, you know, it, it is recognized, um, you know, there's, there's challenges with everything, but at least people are talking now. Mm -hmm. And it's, I think the, uh, it changes the stigma of it too, right now, sure. now that it's, it's easier for everybody to talk about, uh, people are understanding that, Hey, you know what, this is a real thing. 
um, you know, there's a lot of trauma that gets uh, built up in people. And, and, you know, if that bucket starts getting full and overflowing, you know, we need to start processing it. And before everybody would say, well, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because there's no pay attached to being off. Right. If you had to leave work well, you're not getting paid. Yeah. So now with our service, um, at least we have the ability of taking some time off with pay if needed. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that's really helped that whole stigma with it as well and, and healing process. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, at the beginning, I said, yeah, I'll let you guys take the head. And I feel like I've monopolized a lot of the questioning. So yeah. I'm going to mm -hmm. say if, uh, if there's anything that you want to ask or, or dive into, I want to give it over to you guys. You know, like a lot of our, our like big talking points and questions we, we've kind of hashed out as we've gone through there, um, just on both, both, you know, parties kind of, you know, thinking back to um, like, we've all listened to all the episodes that you put out and we've done our own research on the back end of that. And, um, you know, like our, our big concern or our, our big questions were going to be like, the why did you do it and um kind of what like what were those initial prompts that are like hey like what's gonna like what what's gonna get get me thinking about this you know blevy back in 1973 in a small rail town um mm -hmm. and then like your connection with uh with uh your friend there and getting her to slowly open up and tell her story and then the other people that you brought in um i mean that has already been said I and mean, that that was one of the biggest things for me was kind of how does somebody that's so far removed from this event how many years ago um like what would drag somebody to say hey i need to tell this this kind of a story um so like for me i'd like to commend you for bringing you know bringing that out it was uh you know it was we we actually gave a a little bit of a disclaimer on our on our podcast last night when we released it that like hey like there's it's a heavy it, it's a heavy topic and it is you know like you listen to it and like i had to switch to something else for an episode or two <laughs> i'm like ah, i'm gonna switch this up because it's yeah like you, you listen to these people telling this tale and you know you you listen to yourself you're very well spoken and you're you're definitely telling an amazing story in, in time um so you know again like just you know i would like to commend you i'm sure that the guys here are uh, feeling the same um i think you know, just, you know, trying to take, take up that uh, story and tell it, um, you know, getting the, the why, the why you wanted to out was, was uh, really appreciated. And um, just kind of getting those, those um, individual stories out from uh, witnesses and families and friends or, you know, whatever. And then getting all of the uh, articles that you uh, posted up on the internet, uh, I think was, uh, was a, a really neat factor as well that you can go, go back and see, the newspaper articles so why don't you tell our listeners uh where you can find all of this stuff i would love to and just to preface that i do want to kind of my own disclaimer is sometimes it's even hard for me to say or understand the why on my end but when you have the resources and the information and firsthand accounts it's like i always say this now what sort of legacy do you want to leave you know i as my nine to five, I'm in digital marketing. I do. I love it. It's, um, it fulfills me, but no one, you know, who cares? This is something that's very impactful where you're reaching people on an emotional level. You're communicating, um, with people you never would have your, and I, it's, I, I hope, you know, really I'm like grasping my, my shirt, my chest, as I'm saying this, you know, because I feel very passionately about it. 
you know, I hope that it reminds people that we're all in this together, mm-hmm. especially in the smallest of crisis. It doesn't have to be a blevy, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a house on fire, but because of where we are now and how many people just kind of walk on or don't look, you know, just a look, a question, a, a gesture, the, the smallest of good deeds or, or kind gestures make such a, make such a difference. Just a smile makes such a difference, you know, and I'm not one of those people that walks around like the Joker, like looking at like smile, you, you asshole all the time or anything, <laughs> but just to, uh, I do, I would like people to remember, you know, we're all human and, and, and we need each other. Um, I've, I've already forgotten the question. Oh yeah. How, how do, how does anyone get this information? Yeah. So I've spent time building almost a database, a wealth of resources on 1973 Kingman, Arizona Blevy, as well as how that impacted, um, the world of firefighting. And it's all at weneedice.com and the podcast is across all the platforms, uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, um, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. So it's we need ice.com. And I should probably say why the we need ice.com or why we need ice ended up, you know, being the whole mantra of this story for me. And I'll briefly uh, try to cover that. And it's one of the very beginning conversations or early conversations I was having with my friend Kay, who is kind of the key witness in this whole podcast. She was there, she was a hospital volunteer during the event, she was responsible for pouring buckets of ice over these injured firefighters and volunteer firefighters who were burned from head to toe. And I don't want to get too morbid, but when I burned from head to toe, they were charred black. There was no hair on them. You know, their eyelids were off and, but they were still alive. They were still fighting for their lives. Now, most of them perished, but what was going on while this was happening, the chaos at the hospital, the county or the city was putting out this, this uh, radio broadcast over the, um, you know, the, the dedicated Kingman, Arizona radio station, telling the citizens, if you have ice in your freezer or at your businesses, please bring it to the Mojave County Hospital. We need your ice. So they were in desperate need of ice just to comfort these bodies, <laughs> keep them cool, keep them comfortable prior to possible transit or the inevitable, which you know would be them expiring as, as we mentioned early on. So that point and her telling me that and remembering that, and, and I've checked that out and made sure that that was the case. I don't know, it was one of those things that just knocked me off my socks and it became it's not a, a, it's not a headline. It's not something to grab you. It doesn't even kind of make sense sometimes. That's why you have to like wonder at first I was like, people are going to think I'm talking about drugs or something, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense off the beat. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have to just want to um, understand the story. And, and a lot of times it, it just comes from people wanting to, from Kingman or having a, having a connection to Kingman. So it just uh, that w- there was no other direction to go after I heard that. Yeah, that was a pretty impactful um, uh, statement there when we're listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I remember hearing that. I was like, it really hit hit you. It's like, wow, like that's that's the broadcast for help. Like that's huge, right? Like it's it's 
kind of almost like it's come down to this, right? Like this is our last ditch effort is to put to put right. this out over the radio and like to beg for citizens to to mm-hmm. bring ice, like as simple as it can be. That's the last line of defense against you know pain and suffering um, on such a larger scale event. Like it's just crazy. And like we we sat here just prior to going live and just quickly listened to your trailer again, which um, we definitely would recommend anybody hop on there if you're if you're listening to this and you you want a quick two and a half minute I think it was little clip of, of what you get into uh, have a quick listen to the trailer um, it's, it's, it's going to give you just that you know again just that that small look into what the the seven plus part episode. Uh, podcast is really about um and it's really uh captivating thank you thank you i don't want to ignore your contribution here so whenever you want to give me your elevator pitch so i can use that as far as um the volunteer firefighters podcast where to find you website you know what and what the goal is here for listeners yeah, so the quick uh, the quick cliffs notes for us. So um, we're sad here. We got Scott, Todd, and Ash, and we are the Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. Uh, we, we try to get an episode out every week. I, I'd say we're we're pretty darn darn close to that. Yeah, there, there's a couple of weeks. If we're Amazing traveling. job on that. I I like really, you guys. Obviously, I know now you 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 work all day you volunteer and then you do the podcast i don't know like when you sleep when you but it's amazing great great (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um you know it's some weeks it is a challenge but we definitely try our best to get some sort of a podcast out there every week it's important to us i think coming back to that like when we can go back and even discuss some small events uh it's an awesome way to um relive and then kind of move you know move on a bit mm-hmm. uh so we we just chat about calls and events and you know big or small whatever it is um we talk about training uh we talk about up- upcoming events and the biggest thing for us is like we try to project um our podcast like there's three of us sitting here but anybody listening it's like they're sitting here with us and they are listening to a true debrief back at the station sitting around on the back of the fire truck or the back of the ambulance and just having a chat about what's been happening and what's about to happen we're we're not that dry you know open a fire manual and you know recite nfpa quotes um no (laughs) that doesn't get us anywhere that doesn't i mean i don't see a lot of value in that if you want to read about you know firefighting and nfpa quotes take your 1001 and read the nfpa manual (laughs) that's not going to anything in like real life so we try to give that real life experience on what works for us and that's the the big thing that we always say like this isn't the way it's one way this is what works for us you know within our communities with the equipment that we have and we've found success with it so you can take it you can leave it if you don't like it you can tell us why if you like it you can tell us why <laughs> and that's really what we're trying to do is just kind of spread that uh kind of spread that teamwork aspect back again right where um open lines of communication and people can share ideas and uh, share what's working for them what's not working for them where are you struggling there's you know we've got multiple hundred thousand downloads now um we got a lot of people that have listened throughout the years on our platform that have had great successes and have had failures and uh we've, we've heard both and we've been able to help some and some of our listeners 
have then in turn been able to help us. Yeah. So mm-hmm. growing the network um, and just sharing resources is, is amazing. So you can find us on all of your, um, all, all of your major uh, podcast platforms. We're on Spotify and Apple and everything else. Uh, we are on Facebook. Um, we are on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, all of our training videos are up on the YouTube. Um, TikTok is a, a joke, but we're on there every <laughs> once in a while. Um, and Facebook is our major line of like information. Um, I'd say communication is is our Facebook. We're old people, so that's where we go. <laughs> um, and yeah, again, we are DTFFs, and that's the Down to Fight Fire Volunteer Firefighter Podcast. I was going to say there's an acronym and is that important, but you handled that DTFF down the fight fires. Yeah. I mean, we're all idiots. So there, there had not, to be a place. <laughs> not to be confused with the Jersey shore uh, DTF. Yes. That's where we've got it. Yeah. We are, we are down. Jersey shore, I don't think. Yeah. We are down. So very clever. Very clever. That's funny. That is funny. Well, I'm so um, glad for the opportunity just to expand the reach of this event, the community, the volunteer firefighters, and the whole industry in general. But there's so many layers and so much cool stuff. Again, I feel like I feel like I'm this keeper of this information. And if you guys ever want any part of it, if it's something you ever consider again, just know I'm here for you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Other than that, I think I'm good. And again, thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, this you too, guys. Have a wonderful evening. Get some rest and keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a great chatting with you. Also, ditto. I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so that was our interview with uh, Meg uh, from the We Need Ice Pod podcast. Uh, anything else uh, you guys want to add from that? No, just uh, thanks again to Meg mm-hmm. for taking the time to uh, reach out to us and uh, take the time in our schedule to have a little interview. Yeah, for sure. It was kind of our first uh, go at the um, the Skype yeah, deal, deal there, which worked out really well. We were freezing in uh, Todd's guest, or, uh, Todd's, Scott's yeah. test guest suite there, but yeah. uh, other than that... Um, yeah, yeah, it was a different format for us, but I think it worked out really well. So big thanks again to Meg for coming on ours, and she's going to share our story over on her platform as well. So yeah, absolutely, really good. Uh, moving on though, we will uh, talk about Modus. Modus, <laughs> yeah, check out Modus online. Of course, the, uh, the Snagger tool is the claim to fame, but they have all sorts of awesome product uh, wedges, mini spanners, uh, entry tools, entry kits, soft kits. Uh, yeah, you name it. Um, a lot of their uh, their swag bags they're they're trying to flog right now for Christmas ideas from mm-hmm. some of their social media on the Instagrams and the the uh, Twitter account Twitter Twitter account <laughs> yep. as a Twitter account and look for their tweets there you go there, you go. there we go um, <laughs> which this, we this are is now try on. number three yes to get Tommy to be able to talk about Twitter <laughs> Elon Musk walked in there and punched him in the face finally yeah <laughs> <laughs> straight note <laughs> yeah I'd be fired for sure <clears throat> anyways we are also on the Twitter. Twitter. Mm. <laughs> now, again, so look for that as well. Yes. But yeah, Modus, we've been a long supporter of all their, all their products and mm. uh, vice versa. They've been supporting us as well um, Absolutely. for a long time now. It's been great. Uh, so check out them online at the uh, modus.com. Yep. And uh, for a discount code, DTFF5, we get 5% off the order. Absolutely. And uh, we're hoping for some video content that's going to be popping out here very quick. 
Yeah, I actually had a chat with them uh, tonight, just before we got on the podcast here, and um, they are uh, patiently awaiting uh, just a little bit on the editing of the last video, it sounds like. So once that's done, they want to start rolling out the video. I think they have a three or four part that they're going to release. Awesome. Uh, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're like, you, ours being the first that they recorded, we've seen it in its entirety and like we're mm-hmm. excited to share it um as are they obviously uh, they're like it's, it's tough to sit on like these few videos that they have ready to go right um but they have a plan and they're going to put them all out in succession so that's cool so watch for that very very shortly though it sounds like we're we're kind of days away almost so um as, yeah that'll, as, be, that'll be very exciting yeah as much as we, we don't want to hold them to that <laughs> even they said they're like ah feels like I've said this a thousand times but <laughs> it's actually been almost a year right because we were yes. we were freezing when we were filming yes, that that's right. absolutely we're back to freezing <laughs> we're back to freezing no snow yeah. though mm-hmm. no snow that when we filmed it there was not uh very no. yeah no yeah. no because yeah. it, it was the end of the season not correct the yeah so yeah um watch for that to come out that's right yeah uh stop the bleed yeah stop the bleed if you're actually sorry the three methods of uh bleeding control are wound packing not wound packing first Direct Direct pressure, pressure. <laughs> wound packing, <laughs> and tourniquet application. If you're going to use a tourniquet, uh, use a good one. Um, Todd has to go to bed again, like always. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want to find out more, uh, go to stopthebleed.com or .org. And actually, I think there's uh, the Canadian version. I was looking at the other day. Yes, me as well. .ca. .ca. Well, uh, I, uh, I was putting down myself down as an instructor in that, so I'm waiting for approval on that one. Yeah, I've been meaning to as well. I was I was <coughs> snooping around the websites and the instructor pages again, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's because uh, there's technically as an instructor you're supposed to uh, post all your your classes, and if you're hosting a class, yeah. lear- it works well in larger centers, uh, not as much in our smaller rural areas. No, sure, I find, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're gonna do uh, any stop and bleed scenarios, make them uh, high fidelity if you can. Um, a, little, a little bit of fake blood goes a long way. Absolutely. Um, one of my coworkers actually, he's going to be doing a software course for a bunch of army cadets coming up. Um, so he's going to borrow a bunch of my stuff and I kind of t- give him a cold notes version of what we do uh, right. to make it more exciting. And he was all over that. So I'm looking forward to hear how it turns out for him this week. Thanks. Should send him our YouTube link. Yes. There you go. Right. <clears throat> Perfect. Uh, and while we're talking about Stop the Bleed, uh, why don't we talk about uh, Dr. Nick and Artac? Yeah, Dr. Nick has, uh, uh, is part of the ATAC group, which is, uh, which is a, I guess, a head, the head of the RTAC. Mm-hmm. So you got ATAC, and then underneath that you got RTAC. Um, so RTAC is more for the side that we do, more of the rescue side. Um, so he has an online course that... I was gonna say that is online. <laughs> yeah, it's really good if you if you can get a hold of it. If you can talk to Doctor Nick and uh, and take a look at it, uh, email him. Um, it's probably one of the better online courses I've seen. Out there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So the ATAC group, the www.ataccgroup.com, mm-hmm. uh, will give you a bunch of information about what the group is, what they do, how they innovate and uh, promote, and then. <clears throat> link to the RTAC as well, and you kind of reach out through Dr. Nick Sparrow through that link. Right. Perfect. Yeah, awesome course. Uh, uh, really cool to see that up there. Um, and they really push the March protocols, which, mm-hmm. I, which I do like more than the ABCs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
if you don't don't know what those are, to, uh, take a look on the March versus ABCs. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit. I like that order better. It gives a massive hemorrhage before everything else. Perfect. And then lastly, we have us, uh, like we've already chatted about a bit there. Uh, we are on the Facebook, the Instagram, the TikTok, uh, YouTube uh, for our training stuff. And uh, recently, we have gotten into the Twitter space. So, uh, yeah, lots of good information out there. Uh, we try to share as often as possible. I think we're getting better, um, thanks to our social media team at home. So. Hopefully that uh, continues to improve, uh, and we look forward to more engagement from uh, all of you. Uh, Anything else, guys? I think that's everything. Beautiful. Thank you, and good night. Please don't say that. I guess that's it. Say good night for me. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Uh, We appreciate that. As always, stay safe and stay GTFF.